0: Welcome to another episode of the Dynamic Leaders Podcast, part of the Talent 409 Network, where listeners can learn about leadership and other related attributes from former and current successful business people, coaches, and athletes. At Talent 409, we help athletes discover their talent altitude through workshops and seminars while increasing their opportunities for success on and off the field. In addition to athletes, We work with coaches, administrators, and business professionals to enhance their education on how they can positively impact the performance of their teams and programs. You can follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, all at Talent409, and connect with me on Twitter at ColinTalent409. This podcast is available on Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Play, iTunes, and Apple Podcasts. If you have time, please take a minute and give it a five-star rating and review. Help us grow and keep the podcast content strong. Get yourself a feature placed on the podcast. These ratings really do help others find the show and consume the content, and I appreciate you taking the time to do this, as well as being loyal listeners to the pod. We do have another ratings and review feature today. This rating and review came on Monday, February 4th, 2019, and it came from GPA3713. It's titled, Great Work, has five stars, and it says, Doing great work, using your talents to give back to the community through this podcast is inspirational. Great guests so far, and look forward to many more. Keep working. Thanks, GPA3713. I will keep working. I will Keep trying to bring on some great guests. I'm glad you're enjoying it. And I hope everybody else is as well. Speaking of guests, we have another guest on the pod today. Lauren Cochin is the president of the Museum of Science and Technology in Syracuse, New York. We had a great conversation. I think you're all going to really enjoy it. Lauren's an awesome person. So let's sit back, relax, get comfortable If you're not already dreaming about California in that warm weather. All right, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, I have Lauren Cochin on the show with me. Lauren, thanks so much for being here today. Hey, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Super excited to have you on. I think you're a really great influence in the Syracuse community and doing a lot of really great things with the most. But before we get too far ahead and before I tell your story for you, I want to give you an opportunity to let us know who are you.
1: Sure. So um, let's see, Lauren Cochin, I'm 40 years old. I am pretty much a Syracuse lifer. I'm certainly a native. Um, I moved away for a couple of years. When I came back to town for grad school, I never left, and um, I Actually, raising my two little ones. Well, they're not so little. They're 14 and 11. Raising my two kids in the same area where I grew up in Syracuse uh, as a a single mom. And career-wise, really, my background and nearly all of my jobs outside of um, sports have been in nonprofit.
0: So you've been at the most now uh, since 2016, first as an executive vice president and now as the president of the organization. Tell us a little bit more about your role in the organization.
1: Uh, So as vice president, my primary role was fundraising and to manage the department of of funds development and marketing and guest services. And that meant managing, actually about half of our budget. Fundraising um, takes up about half the budget. And now as president, I still do I still do a great deal of fundraising, but focused a bit more on our, our major donors and, and I oversee now every department. So I'm, um, I'm supervising a senior leadership team of about six, seven people and, um, and then all of their staff. But my probably my biggest and most important role as President is to not only manage the present day most, but plan for the future really look ahead and try to try to um, be a visionary for what uh, the most is supposed to be for the community and to keep us present in the community. So really, I think one of my roles as the president is to try to be out and about in the community as much as I can and talk about the work that the museum does.
0: Now, I was doing a little bit of research before the conversation, and I try to let these flow as organically as possible, but I noticed you were on a podcast recently, the Cafe Kubal podcast yeah. and <laughs> I was listening to it and I noticed one of the things that really stood out to me and was really interesting, myself being a little bit of a, a science nerd and uh, my <laughs> wife especially loving things, you know, outdoors and the stars. We've been to the planetarium before back when we were living in Syracuse and yeah. and you and you were talking about how you are trying to get more adults involved with the yep. organization versus it just being a thing for kids, either for field trips or to you know, come on a Saturday right. during the winter when it, there's nothing else to do because uh, it's too cold. So can you tell us a little bit more about that initiative?
1: Yep. So it actually, to, uh, as I mentioned, I really have try- we're, we're really trying to be what the community wants and needs us to be. And obviously for the most part, that really is to be a science center for children. But, based on geography, I mean, we're, we are the armory of Armory Square, where um, there's thousands of residents, there's thousands of employees, you know, we're right in the heart of downtown, and so we knew there was an opportunity there to do some programming for adults, I mean, you know, people are still, as adults, are still curious and still, you know, want to learn, particularly about issues that are relevant to us, um, things as adults, things like the environment, medicine, things like that. So we knew there, we knew there was an opportunity there, and we tried a few different things over the years, and they didn't work. And finally, uh, one of our one of the people in our education department, who and she just happened to, of course, be the type of person we would be targeting for adult programming. She did some research and talked to some other museums about what they do. And so we sort of replicated that. We created this program, it's called Night Lab. And so for 2019, it'll be quarterly. I, I have a feeling moving forward because of the popularity of it that um, we may end up doing the monthly, but basically it's almost like a, a science happy hour. And so around from 6 to 8 or 6 to 8.30, we have a, we have a bar, we have food, and then we have a, we have a science topic. So our first one was called Brain Freeze, which was really cool. It was all about science of the brain. There were games with, uh, like there were multitasking games, memory games, uh, and all these kinds of fun interactive things that um, that were geared towards adults. And then um, our next one is called Game On, and that's all about um, virtual reality, video games, gaming in general. And so um, we really think we're kind of meeting a need in the community for uh, people who are interested in just, you know, doing something different every once in a while. So fingers crossed that that'll continue to grow because I do think it's a great opportunity for adults to stay learning and stay engaged.
0: Absolutely. That sounds like a really cool initiative and something that even I would want to check out, (laughs) you know, when I come home to visit family and things like that. So I I do hope that... Yeah,
1: it was fun. We had about 300 people for our first one
0: oh wow yeah then you should for sure ramp it up next year that's that's my call to you awesome <laughs> <laughs> tell me a little bit I mean you alluded to you know, growing up in the community leaving for a little while coming back and being in the same area with your kids now raising them why is the you know, Syracuse community why is it so important to you
1: growing up here I mean I'm, I'm just I'm I'm fortunate I had a great childhood and I felt like I really got a um, a great education where I went to school in East Syracuse, Manoa district. Even SU, I mean I went I went to college here. I've always I've always just loved it here. I know that um, you know, I, I'm one of those people I feel like you have to force yourself to like winter. You have to, you know, I have the snowshoes and the cross-country skis. you got to sort of embrace everything that Syracuse has to offer. Sure. But the fact is, Syracuse has a lot to offer. Certainly, um, we have unique challenges uh, in our community, and we have um, challenges that any other city of our size faces, but I really do believe There's so much here to offer in terms of not only you know in terms of jobs, um, great affordable housing, but there's you can kind of find almost everything here between the college sports scene, professional sports. There's great arts and cultural institutions. Um, The most I I include amongst that. I mean, I think it's a great place to live. I also think it's a great place to raise a family. And like I said, I was just fortunate to grow up with parents who are very community minded. So I'm very community minded and. And I'm a believer that you know things are what you make of them. So if you embrace what the city has to give you, you'll you'll uh, you'll sort of get it back.
0: This is a leadership podcast. You've mentioned to me how being prepared is one of your pillars for yep. successful leadership. Can we talk a little bit more about preparation or about anything else that comes to mind when it comes to your leadership philosophies and the things that you do? Either at the most or with your kids or just as a person?
1: Yeah, I think for me, um, preparation probably, you know, hard work and preparation are probably the two main pillars as far as my leadership goes. And certainly there's a lot of other things that are a part of that. But one thing I've truly found is that if you know, if you brush up on the things that you need to know, if you understand, not only what your the community around you um, do your you know sort of like doing your research kind of thing, but I found that the better you're prepared, whether it's to make a presentation in the community or um, to even to supervise staff, really being prepared and understanding it is the best thing you can do. You know, I feel like when I'm prepared, I can sort of tackle anything. It, mm-hmm. it eases your stress. It eases your nerves. And then the hard work piece is a huge part of that. So, knowing that part of part of leadership is, you know, it's hard work. You're you're not you're not punching a clock. You're not um, a nine to five. Or when you're a leader and a parent, you know, it's a twenty four seven role. And I think understanding that too is really important because you have to do things. You have to do things to keep your energy right and keep your energy up in order to um, to really be successful in leadership and I do the same thing with my kids so you know in terms of preparation you know we are and leader or not leader I'm telling you being organized is probably the is the best thing you can do to have any sort of success at any level so my kids you know everything is scheduled there's you know we have our routines there's time set aside for studying. There's time set aside for sports. We have goals. You know, we all we have our personal goals. Um, I, we, I certainly have lots of professional goals, both for myself as a leader and for the institution itself. And I think in order to, I think meeting those goals is, is um, preparation is the key and hard work is the key. And, and you know, being organized, all of that stuff is what's going to advance you.
0: We're very similar. I have been told by a former boss that I was the most organized person they ever met, and I, one of my pillars is also preparation. It's one of the key things that I think leads to success. I'm curious, do you believe in luck playing a part towards any type of success?
1: Uh, yes, I do. <laughs> I do. Well, I shouldn't, I shouldn't call it... I actually wouldn't use the term luck To me, it's more like a, and I don't know if these are the right words either, but it's more like a karma or an energy um, to me than luck. I 100% believe this, and I actually tell my staff this all the time, that I believe what you put out in the world, the energy that you put out, the affect that you put out in the world returns to you. I really do. So the most has in recent months, Had what we would probably consider things like good luck, Mm -hmm. and I said, and I actually said to my senior leadership team at one of our weekly meetings, um, because we were sort of remarking on our good luck, and I said, you know what, you guys, though, wait a minute, this is not, not really luck; it's we put out into the world. Our, we put our best foot forward, mm-hmm. you know, so we're trying to give the best experience to our visitors and to our members. We are, we're, we're working hard. We're planning. We're planning for the future of the most. We are um, treating each other with respect. We are being the best supervisors we can. We are supporting each other and having each other's backs. That's a big thing for me is, is our, our team supporting one another across departments. And I said, you know, we've, we've made a conscious effort since the summer to really work on these things, you know, to be to be leaders that are approachable, and again, you know, to, to, to be our best most as an entity and as individuals. And I do believe that, that that returned to us, that kind of energy returned to us in the form of, you know, quote unquote, good luck. And, and I, what I mean by that is things like... Um, we had um, a museum in Miami that actually has, um, was getting rid of some exhibits, like a total value of like a million dollars in exhibits. And guess who got the, the most? <laughs> wow. You know, and our our end of year giving, what we call our annual appeal, is the highest it's ever been in, in our history by about, you know, like something like 122% more than we did the prior year. Wow. And I, again, I believe that, you know, it, it's certainly doing the right things and having the right marketing plan and all those kinds of things. But I also believe it's this, this sort of energy that you that you put out there into um, into the world and into your community. And I know that sounds cheesy, but I really do believe that.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I'm glad that the conversation went this way. I I totally agree with you. And the reason that I asked that question is because I I believe that luck does play a part in success. But luck to me is. I refer to the lucky bounce concept by John Wooden, the former UCLA Hall of Fame basketball coach. And he always said that the more luck you get is a direct result of being prepared. So Mm -hmm. if you're a lucky person, it's probably because you were prepared for it. Yep. You know, you get those lucky bounces. I agree with
1: that. Yeah, I really do. And it's the same thing. It's and it's, you know, doing doing the right things, you mm-hmm. know, doing the right thing when nobody's looking and and working hard when nobody's looking. I mean, I think that does help, you know, you know, create your luck, so to speak.
0: Yes, absolutely. Now, you've mentioned a couple times about to be a leader and to be a parent that you have to have a certain amount of energy, right? You, you have to be on a little bit more than, than maybe some of us that don't have quite as much responsibility. And I'm yeah. curious, you know, we all have to, we all have to gas up, right? Like you can't just keep driving forever. Right. What What are things that you do? Like if, if it's health wise, if it's just things that you personally yeah. like to do to try to recharge and to make sure that you're focused and that you can do the things that you're responsible for, both as a parent and as a leader.
1: Yep. Yeah, I do. I, I, it's funny. I When I actually took the job as president, Somebody actually said to me, your energy is really going to, because I am, I am by nature a sort of a high energy person. Sure. So somebody actually said to me, I think it could have been one of our board members, like your high energy is actually critical for the most right now. And it's really going to help the most. So, so I was cognizant that other people around me see me as that type of person that brings a high level of energy to whatever it is I'm doing. and so. I have made it a, 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 you know, talk about preparation. I've, I've made a really conscious effort to keep my energy high, my positivity high. I mean, I've been talking about all the good things that are happening at the most, but we we still have no shortage of challenges. And I'm and I'm always cognizant that keeping my energy level up will help. It's going to sort of push us forward. So you know, there's, there's, and I think as a leader, you have to do that. So there's days where I'm, you know, I'm having a bad day, or I'm in a bad mood, or I didn't sleep. And I'm really, really conscious of not showing that, you know, keeping not whether it means, you know, there's times where um, I actually have to say to myself, okay, you're mad about X, Y, or Z, do not take it out on your kid, even though you're, you're so annoyed with them right now, because they're doing something so stupid. You know what I mean? Like, correct the behavior, but don't yell. So trying to be conscious of what is, what is causing my energy to be one way or the other, right? So, and I do that at work too. I might be exhausted. It might have been a long day. It might have been a rough day. Um, but I don't, I don't let the staff necessarily know that. And in fact, I have said to them, some of those, like, stressors and challenges of the most are not their burden. They're my burden. They're the board's burden. And our biggest one just being, you know, financial. Our building is incredibly expensive to maintain. So even though our operation is healthy, we, we have a lot of expense um, to, to manage this, this building. So things like that. And, I've, and so I really try to not let other people necessarily worry about things like that. Um, so keeping my energy positive for them. Internally, I I mean, internally, I try to keep my energy up. Like, I do, um, I always try to keep a really enthusiastic, high energy presence, but there's certain things I do to help that. So, certainly, exercise is a big part of it. And I've always worked out, but um, I I now sort of am trying harder to just carve out the time even when I'm busy. So that's a E, Just trying to rest, you know, trying to rest and take care of myself. I mean, there's nights where I'm I'm going to bed pretty early because I know I've got like a big week ahead, or, and then there's certain days like, you know, everybody has email on their phone. So, but there's certain day, like every day on weekends, there's certain hours of the day where I won't check email, and it just depends. Is it because my kid has a game or whatever the case may be? But there's certain times where I just don't check email on weekends, and then on weekdays for about an hour or two every night, I just don't touch my phone, period. It's usually around dinner time. Just because I I think the disconnect for a little while also helps your energy. I think some of us are running ourselves ragged in part because we're always on, you know, quote-unquote, like, we're always on, so to speak. You know what I mean? Like, there's no Mm -hmm. break. And so I really try to disconnect that way. And then, um, uh, and those are the biggies for me. Like, I'm not a person who needs, like, uh, a vacation or a spa to to um, sort of unwind. For me, it's just being mindful of when I'm tired. Appre- you know, respecting my body, basically appreciating when I'm tired, um, appreciating when I really need to keep going and I can keep going, or knowing that I'm tired and saying, "Okay, going to bed early tonight. I'm gonna go in late tomorrow because I want to take an extra long walk with the dog." And then I think for me the other biggie, biggie that sort of keeps my energy up and keeps me centered. And this is just me; everybody's different, but I'm sort of like a nature girl. So whenever I can be outside, I like to be outside. Um, I think there's something about the fresh air. As ridiculous as this also sounds, realizing how, um, in a way, you're just sort of you're just sort of unimportant, right? You're like this little piece of of this universe, and and I feel that more when I'm outside. So really sort of being in in, in touch with nature kind of like let me, you know, let things go that might stress me out or, you know, just sort of realizing my place in the world is not the end all be all of anything.
0: Yeah, that's self-care, healthy habits. I mean, it's yeah. great. I think that you've identified that in order for you to be most effective parent, most effective leader, most effective person is to obviously first take care of yourself. Otherwise, you can't be totally there for others but you found ways to make sure that you're present when you're you know at your kids games or you give yourself an opportunity to just be by yourself out in nature and that's that's really cool really important so happy to hear that for sure yeah
1: I think music for me actually is another biggie that I probably should have mentioned ah cool Um, and I have you know I have music on at work I think the other thing too is sort of keeping my environment. Like we talked about, being organized. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm organized at work, but I, you know, my house is tidy, as tidy as it can be. Sure. You know, I think all of that helps. I think sometimes your your environment sort of affects your um, your energy level and Absolutely. or your stress
0: level. Absolutely, totally agree. Now, professionally speaking, it's obvious that you have leadership attributes. It's obvious that you care about your team, your organization. But I saw, this was probably, I don't know, two, three, four months ago, you could probably tell me. I saw you brought in an outside firm to do like a leadership seminar or workshop. And I'm wondering if your philosophy, your personal philosophies, like what you say, that's obviously not enough, right? You're looking to enhance from other point of views and to bring in other perspectives and things like that. Why was it important for you to provide that for your organization, knowing that you already provide a really solid foundation?
1: Well, I think, well, I think it for a couple of reasons. So one is, I do sort of see myself sort of innately as a leader. I feel like I always, you know, I've been Honor Society, Treasurer, Student Council, you know, I've I've just always been sort of a natural leader. And I have, but I have a certain style. I'm very much a nurturer. So, you know, for for me, um, for better or for worse, I sort of treat everybody as I I don't babysit, and and I certainly treat them like adults. I do not micromanage, which Bill, I'll tell you. But I'm a nurturer. So I kind of my leadership is almost maternal in a way. And that's not how every other leader is. So, you know, everybody, there's no one, you know, leadership style that's necessarily better than another. And so when we brought in a leadership coach, it's because I recognize that every senior staff person sitting around that, that leadership table has a different personality. And as such, they're, gonna, they're going to lead and mentor and supervise differently than I do. And there's nothing wrong with that, but, but, they, but they need to tap into, okay, this is how I lead and this is, this is why. And I'm, I'm just not, I'm not an expert in that. I was not able to provide that because I know my leadership style and it works for me, but I didn't want everybody else to think that, okay, Lauren leads her team this way, I've got to lead my team the same way. That's not at all the case. You know, all leaders need to have certain qualities. They need to be respectful. They need to be respected. I always, I, and I, this is another thing I say often is, I choose to respect everybody every day. It's a choice. I don't make people, quote, unquote, you know, you, you, you hear this cliche about earning respect. I don't believe in that. I choose to give respect. Um, if, if If you lose it, um, you lose it. you if you lose it in my book, you've probably done something pretty awful. but other than that, I choose to respect every person every day. And the same thing with kindness. I choose to be kind each and every day because sometimes sometimes that's more difficult than others. I'm also a naturally kind person, but you know we all have our moments where it's, it'd be easier to just be rude or mm-hmm. it, you know, but I, I choose kindness as well. and I think that that's important for people to understand is. Certain attributes and certain ways that we behave and communicate, they're a choice. They're a choice. I was saying to somebody recently um, about a, a romantic relationship that they were in, that same thing, trust, trusting your partner or trusting your child or somebody in your family, that's a choice. And I think we have to be cognizant of that, that we have the control in our minds and in our hearts to make these kinds of decisions. And so sorry i got a little sidetracked but um, (laughs) so as far as bringing in leadership coaching i wanted my staff to understand that you know lauren's way is not is not the end-all be-all and that their role as leaders really is so important so my senior staff are sort of, they're leading the people that we say are quote-unquote in the trenches, right? So the people that are, you know, I sit up here on my second floor, beautiful big office, and I'm not dealing with every single guest that walks through that door. The cranky kid, perhaps, or the disgruntled parent. I mean, whatever the case may be. So we need to support those people that are, that are really carrying out the mission of the most. And I thought the best way to do that would maybe to be get somebody else's perspective on how to be a good leader, knowing that everybody in that room had sort of a, uh, a different group to lead and a different style in which to lead, but also knowing there, you know, there's certain there's certain qualities that are intangible, you know. So, so so bringing in somebody else to sort of drill down on that was really helpful, and I think it made people understand too, like, okay, Lauren's not. You know she's not being a pain in the butt about this because you know she it, it's for a good reason. You know, being a good leader advances the whole organization. And having somebody else you know tell you that I think is helpful. And that's actually another thing, just a side note. like I do think a, a good leader, a good leader knows what they don't know. You know, I, I really try to understand my strengths and weaknesses. And that was one area where I knew I didn't know how to, you know, bringing in an outside expert was the best thing I could do for that subject.
0: Yeah. And so much of that just ties into having a high level of emotional intelligence. Like not only everything that you talked about, about being good people and understanding everybody should earn respect and knowing that people have different leadership styles. It's a self-awareness piece too, right? Like just knowing, where your weaknesses are, that you're not the smartest person in the room, even though you're the president of an organization, you're not in the trenches, like you said. And that's, I think, such a great attribute and a great quality to have. And I'm sure your employees really appreciated that opportunity. And I wish that there were more organizations out there that took that approach and did those type of things because I think there's a lot of value in that.
1: Yeah, I do too. And in fact, I think we're going to use them again. I mean, we did some pretty basic stuff. It was just a couple of sessions and there were some one-on-ones. But, you know, leadership, you know, as you know, there's a lot of research out there about it. There's all different styles. And I I actually saw it was almost like light bulbs going off, you know. So um, I think we'll actually utilize um, a consultant again for leadership coaching. As, you know, as our organization changes, as people change, I think that's an important thing to continue to provide. I never want my staff to feel ill-equipped to do their job. And I don't just, you know, and obviously I don't just mean like computers and tools and the tangible stuff. I mean, I'm talking all of the tools. And that includes for my senior leadership team, leadership coaching. I mean, truly, everybody, I'm a big believer, you know, everybody can get better at everything. All the time. We should always try try to be better. We should always keep learning. And, and sometimes a consultant or an outside expertise is a great way to do that.
0: Yeah, and it's also, this is one of the biggest challenges and the biggest conversation pieces I have with other leaders is it's just a time thing. I mean, yep. if you could do it all, I'm sure you would love to, right? You would love to be able to help out people until they figured out you know, what it was that they were struggling with or that they're having challenges with or that they just want to enhance something. But we all have issues with time. So that's where a lot of these things come in and can really supplement it and I think just really help take a load off of your plate and allow you to focus on some of the things that you need to focus on in order to ensure the success of the organization.
1: Right. Yep, absolutely. And I think sometimes too it's easier to talk to somebody outside of your organization sure. you know it's not a person you're necessarily going to see every day mm-hmm. and I think sometimes that for some people it's easier to be more open with somebody who's a stranger absolutely uh, so but that seemed that seemed to be really helpful to the uh, to do that so I'm glad we did it
0: quick break to talk about our sponsor sweat with Studs. are you looking to get in better shape without the large investments of time and money that come with a gym membership, Sweat with Stodd's Hit at Home program is the answer for you. Hit at Home is a downloadable PDF that guides you through one month of five workouts per week that don't require any equipment. And if you love hit at home, there's also a version two with totally new workouts. As a loyal listener to the pod, you can get $10 off each of these programs with the code DYNAMIC which brings the cost down to $20 per program. Go to www.sweatwithstads.com, put in that dynamic code at checkout, and figure out what you can do with $20 in 30 days. And now back to the pod. Can you tell us about any influencers, maybe one to two influencers that, have shaped your life and why they're important to you or what made them stand out to you?
1: Honestly, I think probably the biggest, um, and would be, would be my mom and my dad. So my parents were probably the biggest influence. I mean, I, both of my parents were public servants for many, many decades. Uh, really were always involved in the community, whether it was serving on boards or volunteering or, you know, being a part of our church, the community it wasn't just, you know, raising our family was important to them, but, you know, nurturing our community was too. And parents model behavior. It's not just telling, you know, not just telling kids what to do. It's, it's modeling what to do. And my parents were great role models in every way in loving, being loving and caring and having a really nurturing household to understanding that, you know, you're, we're all a part of something bigger. You know, giving back is important and being a part of your community is important. And I think that's probably why I ended up in the roles that I've had in my career and, and that I'm the kind of parent that I am. It's certainly in large part due to them. Although some of it I do think, you know, I do think is, it is innate, but certainly I think my parents were the biggest influence. And believe it or not, I also think my kids are sort of influencers in a way, in the opposite way, in that I'm cognizant and aware of how I want to model, how I want to be and model myself for them. So they influence my behavior right now in in the example that I want to set and in, um, in, the, in the household I want them to grow up in, in the memories that I want them to have, you know, so I think that that influences me right now. Particularly personally, but also professionally, I want them to be proud of me, and I want them to want to you know grow up and do the things that I do now, you know giving back to the community, serving on boards, helping others, you know so um so I think believe it or not, even though they're even though they they came after me, I think my kids are a big <laughs> influence as well,
0: yeah, that's awesome, and it's amazing to me. I mean, myself included, since I started asking this question, how many people have said their parents are yeah. their biggest influence? It <laughs> just makes you think about when you're a kid and you're like, I, I don't want to be anything like them. And then, <laughs> you know, you're like, oh, wow, they taught me some really great things in life yeah. and having a strong support system. I mean, it's such a really awesome thing and something to be grateful for because not everybody has it. So I'm glad that. You know, your parents have paved a way for you to find success and to be happy. And it seems like in turn, you're now trying to do the same for your kids.
1: Yeah, knowing that, you know, certainly we all make mistakes along the way. And I've done plenty. You know, there's, there's moments that you wish you could redo, especially as a single mom. You know, you worry, you know, going, having your kids experience things like divorce. You know, you worry, how is that going to affect them? You know, they seem fine now. Is this going to affect them down the road? You know, mm-hmm. those kinds of things. But I still think ultimately if you're doing the right things and if you are treating them with respect, I think that's a biggie too. We've talked a lot about respect today. And I think that, I think kids deserve respect from their parents and from their teachers. And and I, I don't think we always necessarily do that. And so I think that, if you're doing the best you can, um, and if you're truly treating them with respect, with honesty, you know, that's the best thing you can do. And mistakes are going to happen. I've made plenty. My parents made plenty. No parent is perfect. But to do the best you can every day, you admit when you're wrong, you know, and, and just do the best you can with modeling the right behaviors and, and hope that you're, that resonates with your kids when they're grown.
0: On this podcast, we talk a lot about sports as well. Now, you have and have had a serious interest in sports. When you first got out of school, you took a job uh, back in my hometown, actually, where I was born and where my parents are from in uh, Scranton, Wilkes-Barre with the Penguins.
1: Honey, T- I didn't know that.
0: Yeah, yeah. A little, little nugget in there for you. <laughs> Uh, much more familiar with the Scranton area, but we have uh, some family friends in, in wilkes Barre as well. But tell us okay. a little bit about what that experience was like, being somebody that was, especially hockey, seems like it's something that you have a passion for, and mm-hmm. getting an opportunity to work with the Penguins and finding out that ultimately it probably wasn't exactly what you thought it would be.
1: Right. Yeah, so when I went, when I went to college... So yeah, I grew up in a sports household. You know, my brother was a soccer player. My sister, she didn't really play play sports, but was really athletic. Always worked out. Um, my mom, my mom and dad were fitness, and all of that was really important. Both my parents were great athletes. Um, even my dad still is seventy four years old, and he goes to Y every day. And so, and and we grew up watching a ton of sports as well. So playing sports, watching sports. And hockey was sort of like a, a biggie for us, and that it was kind of like a, just one of those fun things we did, like as a family. So my, because my brother is ten years older, he went off to college, and and I was still really little. And so my dad had these two daughters in the house, and he's like dragging us to baseball games, dragging us to hockey games. But after over the years, we really started to love it. Hockey, in particular, I just just it's so much fun to watch. So when I went to SU, my intent, um, I was a public relations major, and my intent was to sort of do the internships and tweak and customize my major to really get a job in sports PR. Because, you know, what wouldn't wouldn't be fun about, you know, working for a sports team, right? So that's what I did. I I interned for the Crunch. I worked part-time for the Crunch. I interned for the Chiefs. um, And I set myself up on a path to be able to work in sports. And so I did get my first job out of school at the Will's Ferry Strand Penguins. And in some ways, it was the best experience of my life. So I'm 21 years old, and I'm in this little town where, um, you know, the ho- hockey was like the, the best thing going on. And so um, it, it was fun, and it was exciting. But what I learned really quickly was I will never have a life outside of work if I stay in sports. It's, you know, long days, long nights, and it's kind of like nonstop. And I, and I thought, okay, do I want to do this forever? And the answer was no. So I thought, well, how long do I do it? So I did it for about a, not quite two seasons, and I thought, all right, yep, this is not, this is not for me. So I, that's when I went, came back to Syracuse and went to grad school. My mom was actually the one who said, okay, look, get a master's degree. It'll take you a year while you're doing that. Figure out what you want to do. And so I did. I came back and I got a degree that was both business and communications and still actually didn't know what I wanted to do. But my hu- my uh, husband at the time was staying at SU for a PhD. So I ended up getting a job at Syracuse Stage, which was sort of my first job in the nonprofit world. And there was actually a lot of similarities between arts and culture institutions and a sports team, you know, the entertainment factor and all of that. Um, and I just loved it. And so I knew sort of staying in that nonprofit role is going to be right for me. But, but certainly working for a sports team was fun. And it's also interesting. Athletes are very interesting people for the most part. So um, I definitely took away some, some of that leadership, those leadership traits. and the, the, the hard work and the discipline of an athlete, particularly the discipline, really sort of stood out to me as like an, oh, my God that's pretty impressive that they this is their workout, this is their routine, this is what they eat. Um, I really admire that.
0: Would you say that the experience you had with the Penguins was your biggest moment of adversity, professionally speaking, just knowing you probably went in super excited, right? Like you got what you wanted, you worked towards it, you interned, you worked part-time, and then you got there and you were like, Oh crap! What did I do? <laughs> and and everything. Yeah, <laughs>
1: because you know, I knew I knew I was. I mean, I was still I was so young. I, I graduated college in three years, so I was still only in my early early twenties. And I knew I figured something out, right? You know, mm-hmm. um, I knew that there's just there's just certain things I'm better at than other things. A good I'm a good writer. I'm a good communicator. Um, marketing came pretty naturally to me. I mean, I knew I had certain strengths that were going to be used in my career somehow, right? I think more than anything, there was a little bit of disappointment in letting go of what could have been amazing if I didn't have other aspirations outside of just work, you know, meaning I knew I wanted a family. Um, I knew I wanted some some more normalcy in the schedule to have children. It was more just missing the fun of it more than anything. I don't think there's any more fun job than working in sports. So just missing that aspect, but but no, I mean, I kind of always figured I'd find my way, I'd find my niche, I would do something meaningful, and uh, I just didn't necessarily know what it was
0: at the time. Could you ever see yourself in the right opportunity, maybe at the right time, maybe after your kids go through college and are on their own, and if you're still looking to you know do Definitely. something different, getting back <laughs> into it?
1: <laughs> so, yes, I try. One of my very, very good friends is Jim Cirosi. He's the chief operating officer of The Crunch. And I always say that. I'm like, you're going to hire me back one of these days when my kids are older. (laughs) So, Because I do miss it. I do miss it. And I love the nonprofit world. um, But I would love to get back into the for-profit world. The nonprofit world has a lot of unique challenges. And in fact, probably working at the most, it's probably been the most stressful job I've had just because of some of the challenges we have faced over the years. And even though we're turning a corner, there's some things around here that have kept me up at night, certainly. Sure. But I also know that, you know, um, I I love the part, I love that my job is, is giving back to the community, you know, whether it was working at ARC and supporting people with disabilities to have a better life or working at Syracuse stage where we're, we're bringing some of the best theater in the country to, to this, to this little town in Syracuse, New York, to the most, where we're 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 a New York State chartered STEM learning center. We're an educational institution, and to provide that kind of opportunity for students, it's all really important work that I've done, and I'm so humbled by it, and I'm thankful for it. It's uh, made me a better person, I believe. However, at some point, you know, um, especially you know down the road. I have plans for the most and and when the most fulfills its massive potential and when the building is pristine, I would probably look to, even if it's not sports, just getting into the for-profit world and experiencing that. Sure.
0: Now, raising two kids in today's world, especially as a single mother, I'm sure is both fun and has its challenges. We've talked offline before about the challenge of raising your kids with the aspirations of playing sports through college and potentially beyond. Yeah. Can you tell us, you know, how's that process going for you and how do you find balance in that to encourage them, but also wanting them to be prepared? for life outside of sports for life, possibly after sports.
1: Yeah. It's tough. And I, I, it's one of, it's one of the more challenging parts of parenting. Um, and, and I actually feel thankful that having worked in sports, I was witness to things that weren't fair, you know, sports is a business and sadly youth sports is a business, Mm -hmm. which makes me crazy. I think we've taken some of the joy out of sports with, um, with these high price tags to compete but I I feel fortunate so my my son in particular my daughter's a dancer and she does that mostly just for fun and because it's her friends do it and she's one of those kids she may decide to quit tomorrow she may go on and dance for the rest of her life Uh, but my son's a little different in that he picked up hockey as a five-year-old and now he's 14 and like every boy, you know, they want to play in the NHL or whatever whatever it's sport. Um sure. in his case, you know, they want they want to go pro or he he wants to he's more realistic about that now as a 14-year-old, but he still would love to play hockey in college. And I and, and because I've witnessed it. So I mean, one of my dearest friends um, played football in college and played in the NFL. And he said something to the effect that Sports will drop you off a cliff at some point, mm-hmm. and how how far you fall depends on how far you move in the sport. So, somebody who's playing at the professional level, once they're done, they're falling off that cliff, and it's a much farther fall than if you you know you stop playing as a as a twelve year old. Sure, and and that sort of stuck with me because that sort of that sports culture it's part of it's it's part of Jonas's DNA. It, it, it hockey is in his DNA practically and there will come a day when he doesn't play anymore even if he played at the highest level and that's tough because it's so much a part of your life even as a 14 year old so he's a ninth grader he plays on the varsity hockey team and he plays for a youth hockey team and hockey like many sports it's it's really a 12-month sport Mm -hmm. and so every time i turn around you know it feels like we're writing a check (laughs) to a different, you know, to do something different because, you know, he's got to get better and he wants to get better and he wants to play at the next level. And it takes not just time and commitment, but it takes financial resources. And so in our household, school always comes first, always comes first. You get below a 95 or I'm sorry, if you get below a 90 in any subject, no sports. Wow. Because education, I'm a firm believer, education is, is everything. So that's first and foremost. And then the other piece of it is um, balancing aspiration. I call it balancing aspiration versus reality. So at, at age 14, he's still a baby. The kid's going to be growing for several more years. Mm-hmm. He could be, you know, there's kids at 14 who could be their worst hockey player on their team and could go off and play in college and vice versa. There could be a 14-year-old who's the stud on uh, playing at the highest level as a 14-year-old. Who doesn't grow? Who doesn't improve? Who sort of, or, or just decides they don't want to do it anymore? So it's, it's one of those interesting times where the window is narrowing on, you know, being recruited uh, and how, how many years left to grow, but there's still tons of potential there. So we, and we talk about it a lot. I say to him, what do you want to do? You know, what do you want to do? And I'll say to him, I will do my part to get you there. I will pay for it. I'll take you to where you need to be, but you have to do your part too, which is the workouts, the training, the camps. And I'm lucky. I mean, he gets that. He wants it badly enough that he does put in the effort. But on the flip side of that, the reality of the situation is for some kids, it doesn't matter how hard you work, you're talented or you're not. Mm -hmm. And that's a tough, that's tough. That's a tough pill to swallow, you know, because You know, let's say on a hockey team there's 20 kids. You need – you may have one or two kids who are just naturally talented and and amazing athletes, but you still need those other 18 who have to really work at it or maybe you're just mediocre to have that team, right? So we talk a lot about those kinds of things, and it's it's a struggle because you don't want to say you're never going to play D1. You're never going to play D1 hockey. Because you don't know. Mm -hmm. I may look at him right now and and think, yeah, no, he'll never play D1. But who am I to judge or who am I to assess? But I think it's important for parents to understand, especially if they're more of that elite athlete, that at some point they're not going to play this sport. And when that happens, it may be really tough on that kid. And that's why I try, to to just be to be real. I don't go to every single one. In fact, I don't go to very many of my son's games, believe it or not, in part also because they need to understand that sports aren't everything. And, and they're sort of a part of a bigger – you know, I'm, I have a family of um, – there's three of us plus my ex-husband. That's four of us. And we all have lives. Um, so I try not to pour all of our uh, efforts into their sports. So you won't see me at every single game. And if he plays great, I don't – treat him any differently than if he plays terribly we don't talk about you know I leave it up to his co- if he wants to talk to me about the game great but I don't bring it up um, I know if his coach wants to talk to him about something he's going to talk to him about something I don't assess his performance and that's hard too because sometimes you want to right so for us it's, it's the, the best way to balance it is by talking about it and the best way to balance it is to is sort of is it, it, to balance it balance chasing your dreams with, with the reality of your life. And I am a believer in this too, which I know is also cliche, but my mom said this when I was growing up, and I, I do believe it. You know, just, just set goals. Have high aspirations. There's no reason not to. And if you chase them hard enough, even if you don't reach your goal, you'll still reach something pretty awesome, I, I can guarantee it. So Jonas may not end up playing D1 hockey like he wants to, but maybe he'll play d three. Or maybe he'll find that um, maybe he'll he'll find that being a hockey player made him a better uh, student or a better leader. So I think I think embrace it. Um, embrace it with a dose of practicality.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's such an interesting conversation. It's something I would love to dive deeper into with you, maybe offline. Some other time, because I know we're... <laughs> I know,
1: can you tell? I could talk about this for days and days and days. <laughs>
0: exactly. So. Uh, but I know we're getting close to the end of our time here, and I just have a couple last things here. The, sure. the show is called Dynamic Leaders, and at Talent 409, we consider dynamic leaders to be people that use the seven pillars of dynamic leadership, which are courageous, driven and accountable, motivational, have integrity, have grit, great communicator, and have a high level of emotional intelligence. Things that we've talked about at length already today, no surprise for you. Dynamic leaders are also people that lead on the field and off the field. So you know, for like an example of you, somebody that's leading on the, at the most, but is also leading in your personal life with your kids and with the things that you want to do as an individual. Who's one person in your life that you consider a d- dynamic leader, and why?
1: Um, without a doubt, it's my father. I coach him. He was the deputy county executive at Onondaga County for decades, and certainly I was younger and I was a kid when he when he had that role. but even today nearly every day, but certainly when I'm out and about in the community, one thing I always heard about my father. Was that, and you know, of course, a deputy county executive, that's, it's, a, it's a leadership role, it's sort of the number two person r- running the county. But what people will always say to me about my father was that he is kind. These are the words I hear. Kind, fair, respectful, respected, and always, always operated with integrity. And to do that for decades and to have so many people in this community, every, anyone from another top, top leader in the community, right down to the entry-level people that worked at the county, to have people say that to me, and all these years later, he's been retired for about 10, I'd say about 10 years or so, really points to um, somebody who has those pillars. Has them, works on them, all of that.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> Obviously fits the mold really well. And it's uh, a testament to the type of person he is. If you know, you're know, you still getting those compliments and you're still hearing those things long after the, the work that maybe he met the most people and had the most influences, he's not doing that anymore. So that's really cool. Before we let you go for good here, I just want to give you an opportunity to either leave us with... Any final thoughts or if there's any other special projects? I know we talked a little bit earlier about the most, but any other special projects at the most that you want to kind of shout out here real quick?
1: Sure. Well, yeah. I mean, I would say overall, as far as the most goes, if you haven't been here in a while, just come visit. We have a, um, a beautiful Amazon river exhibit opening on Saturday, the 16th of February running through um, September. And we have a new NASA exhibit coming, which is actually a very cool. It's almost like an art exhibit of, of photos from the sun from, from space. And, um, and then for our, our biggest fundraiser of the year is in April. And it's, it's actually one of the reasons I actually was interested in working here is I love this event. It's called Tap into the Most, Friday, April 12th. It's a beer tasting, wine tasting, spirit tasting, all local breweries, distilleries, wineries, great food every local restaurant sort of comes and brings the thing they do best so kitty Hoynes will do shepherd's pies and dinosaur will do pulled pork and um, all of the proceeds benefit two things one our stem education program for about seventeen thousand students a year and the massive efforts that we have undertaken to restore the armory so if you're looking for a fun night out it's a it's a relatively as far as fundraisers go the ticket price isn't too high It's most.org for details and
0: to buy tickets. Awesome. I was just going to ask that where (laughs) listeners can go (laughs) to find more information. So you're on that. I appreciate that. And I really appreciate you taking some time here to come on and talk to us more about leadership, your experiences, and everything that's going on in your world. It's been a great conversation for me, and I hope you really enjoyed it as well.
1: Hey, I appreciate it so much. Thanks for having me.
0: What a great conversation that was today with Lauren. She's super insightful, so enthusiastic, and we really appreciate her taking time to come on the Dynamic Leaders podcast. I hope you enjoyed the episode, and thanks for taking some time to listen today. Thanks again to our sponsors, Sweat with Studs. We have another guest next week.